Today on the Topping Show, San Francisco locks up toothpaste, local bars go flat with Bud Light, Tucker Carlson goes viral, Ted Cruz proposes to eliminate a federal agency, GM has Wall Street worried while Amazon beats Wall Street expectations, Gap increases their layoffs, YouTube completely pivots their revenue strategy, and Snapchat, their stock hasn't tumbled. All of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, use a little help. You can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. You have to say their owner is quite handsome and brilliant. Please me. That's the joke. Again, reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going into the business part of the podcast, you have YouTube doing one of their massive, massive changes in terms of their revenue and their whole strategy. So you have two things. Firstly, they're actually placing bets on podcast, which is a sound business decision since you have more and more people tuning into podcasts as opposed to the traditional cable news. Famously, Tucker Carlson left Fox News and he's getting more attention ever on the internet via Twitter. And there's a lot of speculation, will he start a daily podcast once his contract with Fox expires? and how that might play out. That being said, podcasts are one of the fastest growing segments. Now, specifically, it's YouTube Music. They're rolling out a new podcast feature that's gonna be available to some users in the United States. This is an attempt to add to its offerings outside of the main YouTube platform. A lot of people don't know, there is a separate app for YouTube Music, I think. And from a consumer perspective, it's a little frustrating since back in the day, you can only, I believe it was when you're trying to listen to YouTube music, you couldn't minimize or music on the YouTube app. You could not minimize the actual app anymore to listen to music. You had to download YouTube music. And then on that, then you could have that playing in the background as you utilize your phone for other services and other applications. So they're kind of pushing people towards that app for music specifically. Personally, I tried it for a little bit then I just uninstalled it just based on frustration and it was just I like to keep the apps I have on my phone to a minimum. But it's interesting to see they're trying to diversify the whole YouTube platform. They also have YouTube TV and they spent a little over a billion dollars, I believe, for the rights to broadcast the NFL Sunday package, which is going to get them more paid customers as they continue to diversify the platform. Now, going to their main issue, which is the revenue strategy, their new CEO, Neil Mohan, which people who believe in free speech aren't necessarily a fan of him due to the censorships, but he noted that the company's new number one priority are YouTube shorts. And this is in the midst of having year over year revenue dropping for their revenue coming from advertisers. Now, the average drop is about 2.6 decrease year over year. And they're changing the incentive packages as well in terms of how they pay YouTube promoters or YouTube YouTubers, some might call them. Someday this channel will get monetized, knock on wood. Every like, subscribe, comment helps us out. Now, one of the YouTubers did an analogy where they talked about the revenue versus streaming long format videos versus short term. Now, they noted if you have 20 million views on a regular long format video such as this, you might make between twenty dollars and $30,000 in income. Now, if you have 20 million views on YouTube shorts, that revenue is only going to be a mere, I say mere comparison, $1,000. But YouTube is pushing the shorts. 
which a lot of people say they're great to get subscribers. So I might try it on this channel, but a lot of people also say it's not a great long-term strategy since people might subscribe once, but they never come back for more content. And this is made directly to go up against the short, big competitors such as TikTok and Snapchat, where short format videos that were entertaining, almost like a snack, addictive, entertaining, obviously YouTube short. And it was in beta for a while, but they've seen a big success from it, obviously, which is why they're trying to pressure YouTube creators to use it more often and often. Now, specifically, their Q1 2023 ad revenue was $6.69 billion, which sounds like a lot because that's a lot of money, but it is down from Q1 2022. That was $6.87 billion. Now, granted, their current performance still beat Wall Street expectations, which, if you're publicly traded, that's one of the best things you can do because that just inspires more confidence. People are going to buy more stock, they'll buy more product. It's one of those things where once you're publicly traded, that's something you absolutely have to take into consideration in addition to the core competency of building a great product and taking care of your customers. You also, you also have to take into account taking care of your shareholders and doing what's best for them as well. And when you beat Wall Street, that makes it's a huge boat of confidence and everyone loves that. So it's great all around. Now. YouTube is also increasing, they take a lot of the cuts in terms of they're pushing live streams as well. So they're trying to compete with other platforms as well. So now the YouTube live stream is a huge thing. They do take about 30% of the super chats in the live stream, as well as the memberships and the Shopify affiliates. So when you have a live stream and you can actually pay a couple of dollar amounts so that your comment sticks to the top for a little while, and then the person hosting the live stream sees that comment stay there for a little bit, which is a good thing in terms of sometimes they'll get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments and just too much to take in at once, realistically, in real time. So people will pay a certain dollar amount. I think it's in intervals of maybe $5, things like 5, 10, 15, 20, then 100 or something like that. And that increases the odds that the person is actually going to read your comment. And it's a little incentive program they have. Now, YouTube takes about 30% of that revenue. And I'll be interested to see how this shifts the business in terms of, I don't know if YouTube themselves are making more money off shorts or if they're doing that specifically to try to get more users to compete with the TikToks of the world as that app just completely explodes in popularity and more and more people are using it, even in the midst of both Republicans and Democrats putting proposals together to ban the app since it's owned by a Chinese-based entity and they not only gather data, but they it seems to be specifically used as a psychological weapon where in the United States it doesn't help children at all. And again, there's no reason a kid should have a cell phone, but kids who have parents who allow them to have a cell phone and allow them to have TikTok, the TikToks for the kids in the United States, they're only just now getting restrictions in terms of how many hours you could be on the app. It used to be unlimited hours, no adult supervision, and it was showing them the most toxic, disgusting things, not cohesive with mental health at all. Now you contrast that to the app in China and the app over there actually teaches kids it's cool to do something in STEM. It's cool to be a scientist. It's cool to be an engineer. It's a great thing to love your country. So it's actually making the kids stronger in China, ironically enough. So it has an inverse effect here. Now YouTube is trying to fend them off because they're gaining market share and it's all about eyes on the phone because that's how you make money from the advertisers. They could sell that data and say, hey, this person spends X amount of time on the app. They're going to see your product. They might buy it, yada, yada. So it'll be interesting to see how YouTube keeps evolving 
to try to compete with a myriad of competitors. Now, other interesting, a little bit more sad businesses, you have Gap. They're actually gonna lay off about 1,800 employees due to combating the excess inventory as well as their decreasing sales. Now, this is mostly gonna be jobs at the corporate level at the headquarters and the interim CEO, Bob Martin, he noted that the layoffs would save the company about $300 million a year, which is also every business should always, always, especially if you have a retail store or a franchise, we have a business model, we have a headquarters, you have a corporate structure, then you also have hundreds of thousands of employees on the streets. You guys have to remember to really be careful of the cost of the headquarters. A lot of small privately, or I say small privately based companies, a really good book, I believe it is called, where is it? It is uh, the book by Hobby Lobby founder. It escapes me at the moment. I just read it not th three months ago. Ah, yes, more than more than a hobby. Great book by the founders of Hobby Lobby, and they are famously known for having a policy of we want less resources at the headquarters in terms of we know every dollar we spend on corporate infrastructure, corporate talent. That's a dollar that increases the cost of the consumer, but also you are, just because balancing, you're taking away resources from the stores where the customer has the interaction. So they're very cognitive of that balance. And I think some companies forget that balance and a lot of these companies get a really big bloated corporate structure and there's a lot of jobs that aren't necessarily needed. Um, I'm saying this coming from one of the largest IT companies in the United, in the planet, or on the planet. and. There were people who had jobs just for the sake of having jobs. A lot of middle management where it wasn't needed. Um, so it's definitely some fat you could trim, so to say. Now, in terms of the gap, think about that. So CEOs say they're gonna save about $300 million per year, which is good fiscally for the company. But it also means those employees are getting paid, a, well, to me, a lot of money. So if you rate, average that out, just a basic math, math, you get 300 million divided by the 1,800 corporate employees, that's precisely $166,666.66 per employee. Now, granted, that also takes probably takes into account their healthcare costs and other costs in direct, not just a direct salary, but it is a cost to the company. And that's gonna be a huge savings. It'll be interesting to see if this has a profound impact on the actual storefronts or the customer experience, which is the most important thing in retail, or if they might be able to be yeah, just as efficient, similar to Twitter. Elon cut, I think it went from 8,000 employees to about 2,000 employees. And anecdotally, my experience is about the same, if not better, because there's a little bit more free speech. So it's not like the app is crashing every 18 seconds or anything like that. In that, in that case, there's a lot of fat to trim from that tech company, some might say more of an advocate company. But nevertheless, now good businesses, Amazon beat Wall Street expectations. Now, this is, the, this is in the midst of lackluster results from the other big tech companies, including Google, or Google, Meta, and Microsoft. Now, Q1 revenue increased 9% compared to Q1 2022 with Amazon. Their net revenue sales were $127.36 billion which is an astonishing amount of money. Very impressive, perhaps one of the best stories in terms of the American dream of building a company from the ground up and beating against all odds with this new idea no one ever thought would work. Interestingly enough, when Jeff Bezos first thought of the company idea and he was talking to investors, he had to explain to them the concept of the internet. 
and the website and the interaction and the technology at the beginning was so rudimentary if you want to buy to buy a book you can have your quantity you know one book two copies if you actually put a negative number in there they would just give you money back without you having to return a book so they've come a long way and now they're perhaps most people consider them the top type company on the planet and it's not just the e-commerce they make a lot of the revenue from aws or amazon web services which if you're not in tech basically think of instead of having a computer on your desk it's over in someone else's warehouse or data center and you connect to it with a simple device or basically a monitor and keyboard so to say so they house the service for you you have the virtual servers and they have many services around that for businesses it's a very attractive thing in it as opposed to traditional having it in-house in your own facility now in terms of AWS, they noted that the revenue increased Q1 by 16%, with net sales of about $21.53 billion versus the expectation of $21.03 billion. And their ad sales actually did increase by 21% over last year. So all great things at Amazon.com, even throughout all this economic turmoil and all the hyperinflation, they're still finding ways to grow. Some Few folks are concerned the growth rates are decreasing a little bit, but it's also one of those things where in light of everything, just to still maintain growth is an achievement in and of itself, I would say. Now, other interesting business news, company doing good, but still worried on Wall Street is General Motors. Now, GM has had Wall Street worried the past couple of days, even though they're doing good. So their stock as of today is about 2% down over the week, so that's not astronomical. Now, their stock price is about $32.72 per share. Now, and the earnings call on Tuesday, they beat analyst expectations. There's a couple specific things Wall Street is especially concerned about. So they're worried about the labor situation, as well as the challenges producing electronic vehicles, in addition to their growing concern about the union, which for the automotive industry is known as the United Auto Workers. Now, historically, the union has been with GM for decades upon decades upon decades. And the concern from Wall Street is a possible strike, which is when they refuse to work. And then of course you can't make products, which happens more often than you would think. And it is a huge, huge thing to worry about if you're GM and you have these multi-million dollar facilities or billion dollar facilities, even if you don't run the machines, you're still having to pay heating, cooling, electricity, internet, paying if you're leasing the building. And of course, then you have the cost of not producing the vehicles. So all those costs coming in together, it's gonna to be a big concern. And the reason that UAW is coming up specifically is the timing. Now, both the UAW United States as well as the Canada one, the, candidate, the Canadian Union is called Uni4, which isn't very inspiring. They should work on marketing a little bit, but now they're having new leadership in the UAW and those new leaders ran for the positions saying that they were going to fight the automotive companies, which again goes back to my old theory or perhaps fact that more often than not, it is not a partnership or relationship where you're coming together. You want to achieve an outcome. Once you introduce a third party, like a union lead or perhaps appropriately a divorce attorney, it's more of a combative experience. You're not working together towards a vision. One of the reasons Tesla is historically one of the best automotive companies in terms of the only successful American automotive company since Chrysler, which is saying an achievement in and of itself. They don't have to deal with the unions. 
they treat their employees where they actually give them stock incentives, which is how you should. The harder you work, the more money you're going to make, the better the company does, the better you'll be doing because you own stock, you have a stake in the company. Now, historically, unions, it's usually just the longer you've been there, the more you make. Met the actual metrics or performance, eh. And I have some anecdotal evidence in addition to that as my family grew up in the Midwest with family working in Michigan, famously headquarters to the big three, the big three being General Motors, Ford, as well as Chrysler, which used to dominate the automotive industry back in the day, the biggest U.S. manufacturers. Now, the new leaders, and this proves my point, new UAW president, Sean Fain, during a meeting with the union convention in Detroit last month said, quote, we are here to to come together to ready ourselves for the war against the one and only enemy multi-billion dollar corporations and employers who refuse to give our members their fair share. It's a new day in the UAW. Unquote. Does that sound like someone wants to come together and really work to achieve a business goal or develop a new revolutionary product like Tesla has? Or... Is that just going to kneecap the company? If you look at the historicals of why GM went bankrupt back in 2008, one of the biggest costs were the pensions, which negotiated with the unions. And back in the day, they used to have ridiculously good healthcare packages where it was like a dollar. It was an astronomical low income or um, low cost. It was like a dollar and you had healthcare for life. It's if someone worked at, at GM, let us know in the comments. Maybe your anecdotal evidence would be interesting. But you had the pensions, which broke their back. And then you also have the actual UAW. And the UAW, this was back in 2008, I read an article. They are paying, with the benefits, they are paying people $68 an hour to put a tire on a car. A tire. And keep in mind, this isn't manual labor, basically, because they have machines. So you have a machine where it picks up, you're basically there, you have the machine pick up the tire, so you're lifting it up, but the machine is doing the lifting too. So you're basically guiding a tire onto a vehicle for $68 per hour, well above minimum wage. It's a wonder they can't compete with the Japanese automotive companies sometimes because that's a huge cost and that's one specific position. So if I were an investor, I'd be scared to the bejesus. Not only do you have the company completely trying to revolutionize their product line, they claim they're gonna be 100% EV by 2035 and concerning for low income folks especially they're not making entry level vehicles they used to have the chevy cruise that's gonna die the only car that's not in ev aka something that will last a long time is the chevy malibu everything else is gone you have the camaro which they're going to kill by the end of the year i believe and you have the corvette which now they're making in a electric drivetrain granted they have the v8 for now not gone would although it's still not a manual transmission so they spit in the eye of 21 to 25 percent of their consumers because that's how many as a percentage of buyers for the previous generation corvette which had the stick shift as intended nevertheless and they just stopped making the chevy bolt which is their plug-in one of the first commercially volume successful in terms of these a lot of units but they forty thousand dollars 2022 now they're completely revamping their whole infrastructure to make ev vehicles going all in there's still a lot of uncertainty from the U.S. infrastructure in terms of electric grids. 
famously California during their blackouts, they tell people they can't charge their electric cars because they won't even work. And you also have to retool everything. And the union is going to fight that too. Because if you look at the number of people it takes to build an EV, it is a smaller headcount. There's less components and there's less things that wear down in terms of you also have subsidiaries of General Motors where they're making all the parts for the cars to supply dealerships. So it's not, it'll shift jobs. Those jobs won't be there. It'll create other jobs in logistics and also engineering and research development. But in terms of entry level non computer jobs, those might be shifting away. And that's historically why the UAW is what I've read. They're more against the EV trend. So GM has, they're not only. GM isn't just dealing with Tesla, which is the biggest EV competitor right now in the United States as well as globally, but they're competing against themselves. They also tried to buy out contracts earlier this year, basically paying people to so that they didn't have to fire them or let, lay them off as they try to continue to cut costs to remain fiscally competitive on this cutthroat automotive industry. It's one of the hardest, most difficult industries out there. Just every new car, every new model is billions of dollars not only in research and development, you have to set up the machines, you have to set up all the infrastructure, the parts. It's a huge risk. They're risking it all. Now, personally, I think a more prudent approach would be like Toyota, where they're having a hybrid approach. I mean that somewhat ironically in terms of they make hybrids, but they will have continue to have internal combustion engines or ICE engines, as well as hybrids. And then with Lexus, they have a little bit more of the EV technologies. So some might call it hedging your bets. So if one goes down completely, or if one turns out not to be a great long-term viable thing for most Americans, the others will as well. Another thing hurting GM, that's going to hurt a lot of motor companies right now, they're going to be hurt because the average price of the car is going up and people don't have a lot of cash these days. The average price of a car sold in 2022, or rather, I apologize, Q1 this year was $50,263 per vehicle, which is a, that's half a year's salary or that's, that's a, that's a year's salary for a lot of folks. I believe the average U.S. salary is close to $36,000 a year. That's a huge amount of money. So it's going to delay people. That, it just is a lot of things, a lot of dark clouds in the automotive industry. And well, Mary Barra, many people applaud her leadership skills and she's done some strategic moves to make the company more competitive. Will she be able to overcome the UAW as they, it seems to be becoming more combative? Time shall tell. We'll see how they fend long-term. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, or rather, more accurately, culture mixed with business. So the culture part of the podcast, we're going to the, the business of Bud Light. Now, Bud Light is now hurting local bars who were, let's just say, foolish enough to back them, or more accurately, to get involved in politics. One of the rules of thumbs when it comes to restaurants, bars, a lot of folks, a lot of those situations is, don't, you don't talk politics, you don't talk religion. You're going there to get away from the hub above, the hustle and bustle of your daily job. You're going to talk about whoever's throwing the pigskin or winning the ice hockey game or arena thingamajigs. But usually those conversations are a little bit more tapered in bars, and especially the bar owners. If you're a restaurant, especially that industry, you're trying to get the largest amount of customers. You don't really think of a lot of, oh yeah, that's a Republican hamburger place or the liberal, well, maybe the liberal... Soylent Green? Or no, wait, what do they like? Uh, kale restaurant. They, okay, those might be a little more. But if you think of just traditional hamburgers, salads, what have you, you're trying to reach the largest audience possible. That's your audience. If you get political, 
you are narrowing that audience. Because even though not everyone might care about politics, people do, and they vote with their dollar, some more loudly than others. Now, these are bars who specifically backed Bud Light's decision to hire Dylan Mulvaney as their in endorsement to celebrate Dylan's 365 days of being a woman. They gave Dylan a can with Dylan's face on it. And now the bar owners are saying they're not going to tolerate those who are intolerated. They will not, quote, will not tolerate intolerance, which grammar is a lost art. I'm pretty sure that's a double, double negative. We will not tolerate intolerance or something. Doesn't sound grammatically correct. Now, specifically, there's a bar in Indiana. They had a message, uh, they had a message for, quote, unquote, open conversations. So they, they were saying, yeah, let's, let's debate this idea, which, okay, if you truly believe that. But more often than not, when people say that, they just want you to shut up and listen to them disgustingly enough. Now, the same bar that called for open conversations, they said if you disagree, you can leave their bar. So, no. When they say open conversations, in that case, they just want to yell, berate, and pummel you into their way of thinking. Regardless of facts, logic, or reason, they just want you to think the way they think. Instead of having, having a cohesive intellectual debate, which I can appreciate, and I certainly appreciate those types of mediums and platforms when I see them on the internet and those are invaluable, but in this case, they just want you to shut up, drink our beer. Now, this is even more astonishing. They, this, uh, there's a bar in Fairfax that chose to elaborate on the situation. They said, quote, we are tired of all the hate. We are very open to debate and discussion. And it's truly a shame we can't have an open conversation about this important political and cultural topic. Bars, in our opinion, exist as public spaces where ideas should be exchanged. Dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, due to all the bigotry and hate, hatred that has surfaced around the Bud Light controversy, any patron who wants to voice their concerns about the issue will be immediately asked to pay for their bill and leave our establishment. Now, it gets hilarious, or unquote, it gets hilariously ironic, or just logical justice from there. Within, an, I believe, a day, they were on Facebook begging for new customers to go, oh yeah, we, we lost all those customers, uh, we need uh, we need some more people to come in here because our revenue is going to shit because we decided to give a political statement and hitch our wagon to Bud Light, which these days is not a prudent business decision to say the least. And on the converse, you also have bars, many of them with biblical faith, saying that they are taking Bud Light off their menus. And some of them are increasing their customers because most of their customers seem to agree with that. They're making statements. Some of them are doing it silently, just removing it from their menus. Some are doing some dramatic things where they take down the Bud Light signs. In that case, their revenue might increase since if you think of the average current Bud Light drinker, more often or more of them are agreeing with that message versus, or that ideology versus the previous, as shown with week over week, less and less and less sales. Now, other interesting business news that's mixed in with the culture the culture of San Francisco, which is still a tech magnet as well as there's a lot of great, fantastic engineering companies over there. But a little while back, they decided to defelonize a certain amount of theft. So was, I believe it's under $950. They will not prosecute it, basically. This has led to a land of lawlessness. It's a shit show. Ironically and hilariously, that is a literal fact. There's so much human defecates on the ground. They came out with an app on your phone and it's called like the poop app where people will see it and they'll mark it 
So all over San Francisco, it's such a morally, it seems to be such a vacu lawless, vacuous place. There's so much crap there, you have to have a phone app so you could avoid it on the ground. And thefts have just been increasing exponentially. You have some of the largest companies withdrawing. You have, I believe it was CVS as well as Whole Foods recently closing their stores. And it's not getting any better. And I don't see it. I don't see the politics that chose those laws. I don't see those changing anytime soon. Now, it's gotten to the point where Target in San Francisco is locking up all their products. So it's not just the you know $150 wines or liquors or iPhones or whatever people pay for electronics these days, but it's getting to the point where they're locking mouthwash, toothpaste, pretty much all the products. And there's a video where eventually, again, like, subscribe, and comment helps the channel out. We'll eventually be able to show this in real time. I'm pointing to an invisible graphic we'll be able to put up. But they've gotten to the point where you just, they have a video where someone tours their store and every product is behind plexiglass and is locked because these stores the people who are stealing from the stores are not prosecuted and in the rare instances or instances where they are prosecuted the da just throw them right back on the streets so imagine being a business owner and you especially grocery stores they have such a small profit margin there's there's no way you could fiscally make it work in addition to having an increase in violence against your prospective customers current customers and your employees it's getting more and more difficult to actually host a profitable business in that area. And to see that Target is just locking all the things up, that's the writing on the walls. That store will, I don't see that store being there in 12 months. The laws aren't gonna change. I mean, there's not gonna be a big, I don't see the laws changing anytime soon or politicians changing anytime soon. The ones who pass the laws pass them and people get what they vote for. And it's sad for the people who did not vote for that, but. I would say use whatever resources you can and, and move. I mean, people say it's insurmountable to relocate your whole life. I've done it a couple of times. It's one of those things where the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. Read a history book and I mean, you hear some of those inspirational business stories are immigrants who literally risked everything. Uh, I'm reading a book by Papa John, the founder of, of course, Papa John's. And his great-great, I believe his great-grandfather, he left Germany he didn't know anyone in America. He was in his 20s. He just saw the government taking over Germany in terms of they were regulating the businesses. They couldn't get things done. They couldn't remain profitable. They were punished if they were successful. So he knew no one in America. He had no money. But in his 20s, he moved halfway across the globe because he knew at the time America was the land of opportunity and the government wanted you to succeed. They wanted to make it easier to start a business, to run a business, to prosper, to, to provide for yourself, your family, your community. So... If he can do it, you can too. And I would say it would be a prudent decision to do that at this moment. Now, crossing over into the politics part of the podcast, you have Tucker Carlson going viral. And, of course, Fox News continuing to crumble, losing between 50 and 70% of their audience, their views. And it's not just during Tucker's plat, uh, time slot. It's across the whole day. So more bad news, again, they're such a giant company and they have such a massive overall cash flow. They're not gonna be in trouble short term. And it might just be one of those things where like when Glenn Beck was forced to leave Fox News, he started his own company, famously The Blaze. And he's been massively successful that since then. And I hope the same for Tucker since he has a great, a lot of unique views that other 
reporters seem to acquiesce and cower away from. He's actually willing to have discussions and questions. Other platforms do not. Perhaps that's why Fox forced him out. Many are speculating. Now, I thought it went viral a couple of days ago. It's now, even within the past couple of hours of me writing the, this talk track, it's gone up in views. So let's actually play this. So this has specifically, in terms of folks who watch the whole video, 21.9 million views of this little clip you put on Twitter. It also has overall 74 million views. So that went up about 3 million views in hours, which is astonishingly impressive. I'm also at Nick Topping if you want to see my Twitter, N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Now, let's see what Tucker has to say. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. I've been saying that for years. It usually is just a shouting match, similar to the education level of elementary children. There's really not a lot of discussion with facts, logic, or reason, which seem to elude many people these days and seem to be a very rare resource or talent or skill these days. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change. Now that's another interesting thing. He has long-term been against war in general. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, U.S. Senator, former bartender, she used to have that same view, and yet she thinks the government should censor him. Fascinating to see how people change over time. Corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. On that note, I also wonder how profitable that is or isn't. As the amount, as education level and the intellect seem to be fading over the years in the world in the United States, I just say that because I remember the Kardashians being a thing where every American was glued to that bloody TV watching just a family about drama. It didn't make you smarter, didn't educate you in any way, it's like junk food, but TV, and people worshipped it, ridiculously enough. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is in... That's true. There's a reason YouTube hid the dislike button. I famously, look at anything from the White House past years and the dislike ratio is 80% dislike to 20% or 15% like. It was never a positive like ratio, and a lot of people, people speculate it was due to the government entities in terms of they looked bad on YouTube, as well as the traditional media outlets like CNN, MSNBC. They were all getting downloaded on YouTube, and people could see that. 
So that's why YouTube decided to hide it. Now, allegedly there's some plugins and the reason that makes me suspicious about that initiative was YouTube claimed, which is BS, they claimed that they did it specifically to protect the feelings of the creators. We don't, we don't want them to feel bad because people see the dislikes and they, if they see dislikes, they won't be happy. That's completely BS. The dislikes are still there on the back of logistics. Every time you are in the YouTube studio, which is the actual part of YouTube where you upload videos, edit videos, it tells you the ratio right there. So you're not hiding the dislikes from them. And also if the dislikes are public, good. More knowledge, more transparency, the better. And it also helps the creators get better. If they see 80% of people download voted a video, you probably did something wrong and maybe you can make adjustments. Whether it's my videos, a lot of folks in the comments used to say I need to enunciate more. So that's something I'm cognitively trying to work on every single day, as well as incorporating hand gestures, moving the laptop a little bit. So there's a lot of good construction feedback in the comments and I thank everyone for doing that. And to hide the dislike button, again, ridiculous. Approved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue. And so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Now, that video has also increased in likes. It's got 901.3 thousand likes and 193.9 retweets, or 103.9K, 103.9 thousand retweets. And the top comments are all supportive of him not he's not being ratioed as the kids might say where they're downvoting well, i guess there's no downvotes on this app but they're not posting memes and those are getting more likes than the actual content he posted now be interesting to see where he goes from there as he becomes more and more popular time shall tell now other interesting political news you have ted cruz and brian donalds proposed to eliminate the consumer financial protection bureau ted cruz being a republican senator from texas and Brian Donald being a Republican senator from Florida, and they proposed that bill because they want to get rid of it, and they want to specifically restore the financial laws to the point they were at prior to the agency being debuted. The agency was debuted in 2010, and ever since then, financial groups as well as Republicans have said that they don't need it. Now, Cruz specifically said, quote, and of course, acronyms make people sound smart, so this, this government entity, their name is so long, they have to have acronyms. So... The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is a CFP, CFPB. Now, Cruz said, quote, the CFPB is an utter and complete waste of government spending and should be eliminated, unquote. Quote, it is an entirely ineffective and does little to protect consumers, unquote. Which, I don't think that's exclusive to that particular agency. That's many agencies, in my opinion. There are a lot of agencies and It'd be interesting to see them try to justify their existence. Now, he says, quote, the only purpose of the sham, quote, sorry, quote, the only purpose of the sham 
Obama-mandated organization is to stifle economic growth by enforcing burdensome, unnecessary economic regulations. The last thing our economy needs under Biden inflation is to is further hindrance by government bureaucrats. Ending the CFPB will spur economic growth at the time where, when Texans and Americans sorely need it, unquote. Which is usually the good rule of thumb. Less regulations, the more businesses thrive. Less taxes, more businesses, more people thrive because they have excess resources to work with. Lord knows there's enough there's so many regulations around businesses. It's become more and more prohibitive to start a business, to grow a business, to run a business. It's a huge burden and it takes entire departments sometimes to handle them the best that they can. Now, Donald, on his part, he said, quote, Look no further than the CFPB for the epitome of Washington Swamp, a unconstitutional, unaccountable, and overreaching government agency with no congressional oversight. And he told, unquote, he told that during a Fox News digital statement. He also said, quote, in addition to the drain on federal resources, the CFPB hinders economic prosperity by imposing partisan and unnecessary regulations on American consumers. And to further perhaps drive the point that this might not have been proposed with someone who has the best economics standpoint or knowledge, this is also something that was proposed by Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts. It's one of those things where I think Politicians who had to have to have contributed to society in terms of maybe had a job or really done more in the business world so they could be more knowledgeable with these things instead of just saying, we need to tax the absolute hell out of these companies so they go overseas or they just go out of business. Now, she is credited to have establishing this agency. She first proposed it in 2007 when she was at Harvard Law School professor. And under President Barack Obama, she was later appointed to serve as a White House advisor with the task force over, overseeing the implementation in late 2010. And of course, I mean, the agency has done a lot of good. I mean, there's no hyperinflation or no no scams with finances. The banks have all been good. I mean, it's done a lot, right? Again, it'd be interesting to see if how you, how most employees have a yearly business review to justify their job and maybe give them raise or decrease based on the performance. It'd be interesting to see if there's that on a government level. If there is, it doesn't get enough press attention. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Snapchat. Now, their stock has been plummeting as they recently announced that they missed their revenue goal. Again, going back to that age-old statement, or rather, statement earlier in the podcast, talking about the importance of beating Wall Street expectations. Because when you miss, they get disappointed. Many of them will sell your stock, which makes the price go lower and lower. Now, Snapchat claims that their sales demand from Q1 were destructed by changes that were made to its ad platform, which they made in order to drive higher click-through conversions. Now, they noticed specifically that revenue dropped 7% down from $988.6 million from $1.06 billion a year ago. They recently debuted a myriad of AI products, which from a business perspective is probably a prudent thing to do since AI is the hottest thing since sliced bread. It's a very entertaining thing for people who have a little time on their hands. I say that somewhat ironically, but it's just one of those things where it will become a, it's becoming an important tool, but like many tools, many people are just using it to joke around or just, it's not really improving their lives at the moment, as far as I can tell, anecdotally speaking, from talking to friends, family, and such. Now, they did also know that they had a 15% increase in daily activity to 383 million users, which obviously that's great. The more people are using a product, the more it's worth in terms of when you're selling ad space, you can say, hey, we have this many people 
with their life glued to this screen, staring at this one app, okay, soda company or automotive company, let's put your logo right there. And maybe they'll stare at it enough. They'll go, hey, I need a new car or something. I'm, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to certain marketing initiatives. That's why with my, my tech company, which is a separate company from this, I always quantify all the dollars spent on marketing and make sure we know who we're targeting, how we're targeting, and what's our return on investment or ROI from the initiatives. Now, the stock is about 56% below their IPO. So they debuted about $24.48 and now about $10.50 per unit. So they're down to $10.50 per unit. And the past 30 days, the stock is down 15.83 cents per share. So again, their Snapchat released AI products. They had an increase in daily users from 15, going up 15% to 383 million users. It'd be interesting to see if they can bounce back from this business blunder of the day. Needless to say, we'll see. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Cannot thank you enough for liking, sharing, subscribing, and commenting. Each one of those things help the channel grow and develop. Also, don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies. Heck, tell anyone and everyone. Stay safe and fight the good fight.